Hello, and welcome to TechnoSapien, a future tense series of podcasts from Slate, New America, and Arizona State University. In this series, as the name suggests, we'll examine how technology, now and in the future, will impact us as a species and how we relate to each other. Each podcast is a debate about whether machines will solve our problems or make them worse. I'm Christine Rosen, a Future Tense Fellow and Senior Editor of The New Atlantis, and I'll be the skeptical voice on technology. I'm joined by Marvin Amore, a Future Tense Fellow and First Amendment lawyer who, I think we could call you a utopian dreamer of technology. Yes, Marvin? I wouldn't say that, but I'm excited about drones. (laughs) Well, so am I. So let's get to it. We have a very special guest today. Um, We're joined today by Nabiha Syed, a media lawyer and visiting fellow at the Yale Law School Information Society Project. She's also the co-founder of Drone U, an online educational platform for people interested in learning more about the big social technological and policy questions surrounding drones. Hi, Nabiha. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much. Well, we've spent nearly a decade uh, hearing about the tough ethical and political questions about military drone use, but we're all just now starting to think about the proliferation of drones in private hands, whether corporations, journalists, or that guy that who is doing a lot of stuff in his garage with flying objects. So we just want to kick it off by asking um, if Amazon or another company like that goes ahead with a delivery drone, can, do you think we're prepared for this sort of private drone use? And what are some of the challenges you think we're going to see as this first wave of private drones hits the air? Wait, can I ask a more, more basic yeah, yeah, question? Thank you. I completely Chris, can. Start Chris, over. Christine is a lot smarter <laughs> than I am. Most basic question. I've seen these little drones people have. What's the difference between a, like a drone and just a remote control helicopter? Like So... Drone is a catch-all term that's used for pretty much anything. And the technical term sheds a little bit more light on what's actually going on here. A UAV, which is a technical term, is an unmanned aerial vehicle. So theoretically, they should be able to fly autonomously. A lot of them currently can't, like a Parrot AR has a person driving it around, um, which is pretty similar to a, a helicopter that you get from Radio Shack. So there's some confusion over what the difference is. But when we talk about drones, we should be talking about unmanned vehicles that theoretically can go about on their own. Gotcha. So when I think of a drone, I think of the Parrot AR, sort of inexpensive drone. We have one in our office upstairs. I think of our friend Timothy Reuter's new pocket drone that you can fold and put in your pocket and fly. But what we're going to be talking about with you is um, not unmanned and not controlled autonomous drones. So just to just to clarify, Will we, we only- can be talking about a pocket drone and the other drones put up by AirDroid and Para AR too. Just oh. because in the colloquial imagination, that's what folks are talking about when they're thinking about drones, and that's likely to be the first interim phase of drone use as we transition to totally unmanned vehicles. Yeah, because I don't like the idea of an autonomous flying robot that I can't control. What? There's a there's a <laughs> there's a robot that scares you, Barbara. This is good news indeed. I like the idea of a, of a robot I control a little better. Well, let me let Go me on. ask you let me ask you, Nabiha, what what are the so far what are the early adopters using these drones for? What, what are companies using them for? What are activists and journalists using them for? What's the lay of the land right now? Honestly, anything that you can imagine. There are jokes about the taco copter delivering tacos to people. There have been um, claims that someone in Philadelphia is using a drone to deliver dry cleaning, though I'd like to know how he could bring all of my dry cleaning over with just a little <laughs> parrot AR. Um, 
where I find the most exciting uses right now are actually in the humanitarian space. So recently there was a humanitarian UAV network launched called UAVator, a- Aviators. Mm-hmm. Um, tough to say, easier to spell. And they look at the potential of UAVs to help with real-time data collection, mapping, delivery of food and medicine, situation monitoring, just a lot of different important functions that pop up in the disaster or conflict zone. A lot of those issues with mapping and data collection are also clearly very useful for journalists who could be using this to report um, in a variety of contexts. We've already seen, seen people use them to map protests in Poland, for example, or to get footage of um, post-disaster zones like in Alabama. So really, if you can imagine any potential use for a camera and think about how it would be useful in the sky – you have a clear use right there. Oh, I'm thinking paparazzi is the first word that sprang well, to my well, wait, mind. Let's, just for the record, Christine, we found a technology you like as well. We had a moment where I was anti-autonomous flying robot and a moment where you, you're, you're going to say, it's great that these, that these flying robots can be helpful in disaster areas. Yes, that's true. That's awesome. true. But So that brings me to this question. Why does the Federal Aviation Administration and, and other government agencies, why do they want to regulate the use of these drones and why are they trying to, how, how are they intending to do that? The FAA has one very clear mandate, which is safety in the skies. And it's certainly true that drones do present a number of safety issues. They can crash into an airplane. They can fall out of the sky and hit someone on the head. In fact, someone in Brooklyn actually died a couple of months ago because the drone he was flying fell on him. I think just yesterday or maybe a couple of days ago, a runner in Australia was hit by a drone that was purportedly hacked and downed. Uh, She needed to get some stitches. So there are clear safety implications here. And I think that's what the FAA is really struggling to grapple with because their mission is safety, but there are huge innovative uses for this as well. And the FAA themselves have estimated that in 10 years, there's potentially $90 billion worth of industrial improvement that can happen because of drone use. So there's a lot at stake here. So I have a um, question about private property, not to get too um, conservative-minded here. But if a man's home is his castle, and we have a castle doctrine and all these things, what about a man's airspace? So how, where does private property end um, in the area above our homes? Could I, um, wanting to spy on my noisy neighbors, send a drone over to see what they're up to? You know, we're so used to thinking about private property lines as lines on the ground that demarcate our castle, um, and we use trespass doctrine to enforce those lines. But moving that line into the sky is a lot messier because the Supreme Court has conceptualized for a long time now at least some of the airspace as a public highway. That's how helicopters can fly over your home getting to where they're going, or airplanes can too. In fact, in the Supreme Court case, United States versus Cosby, that established part of the airspace as a public highway, it was because airplanes nearby were taking off and killing all of a farmer's chickens because they would be so startled by the airplane. So... The problem is that there isn't a clear line of demarcation for where the sky becomes that public highway and where it becomes your own private airspace necessary for your enjoyment of the land. And that's the test, right? The question is, at what point is there an interference in your airspace that um, gets in the way of you enjoying your own land? So you can imagine if you fly your drone too low over your neighbor's land to spy on him and it hits him in the face while he's sunbathing, then certainly it could be trespass. But if the drone is high above in the air, it would be difficult to sustain a trespass claim unless it somehow interfered with his enjoyment. And I think that's where the law just hasn't caught up yet. Trespass relates to those lines on the ground and doesn't clearly get into the lines in the space quite so well. 
Well, this this brings me to a, an issue. I know some people, and of course, Marvin hangs out with all the techno utopians. I hang out with the um, tinfoil hat wearing luddites. There are people who think that even Google Maps Street View pictures of their home is is a violation of their right to live without having the entire world see what their home looks like. Um, could you foresee, for example, if Google had a fleet of drones that they were using for mapping purposes, um, where would the trespass line be there? Because you could argue, of course, that the maps are a public good. They're something everybody uses. It helps. Uh, improve public safety. On the other hand, you could say, I don't think everyone in the world should know what my backyard shrubbery looks like from, you know, a drone's eye view in real time in particular. I think that puts a fine point on exactly why the privacy issue with drones is so complicated. Um, The real issue here is that we're uncomfortable with what we do in public space being easily recordable, storable forever, and used in ways that we haven't consented to. And so you see a lot of drone regulation and regulation of Google Glass surrounding around that kind of discomfort, right, Um, which is where the regulation on the state level comes from and what the FAA might be thinking about as well. Um, The problem is that regulating the platforms that enable that kind of potential um, impingement into privacy is a game of privacy whack-a-mole. There's just going to be some other platform or technology that pops up. And I think what we actually need is a broader national conversation about control over our personal information, whether that be data that we give out over Facebook or images or other sensory information collected by drones for whatever purpose. Um, But that's a pretty large undertaking. So at the moment, we have photos of our homes from satellites, maybe from Street View, and for moving to drones, I actually think that society will just be used to being photographed and having these images available. Maybe not Christine, but we've sort of... I'll move to Europe where they have stricter privacy regulations. And they also have satellites. (laughs) I think that train has passed. Uh, So, But what I want to know about what really fascinates me in the drone space, because I'm interested in, in internet issues as well, is Facebook's internet.org announced plans to use drones to provide internet to folks in Africa and around the world. Have you followed these announcements? Have you, have you read about these sort of special super high drones that can just beam internet down to people? I want one. I have. And I think some of the drones may also be used to create wireless mesh networks in those areas. And what that highlights for me is understanding the drone as a neutral platform. It's very easy to think about it in very context-specific ways. For many people, when they think about drones, they think about, you know, something bombing you from below. Now, in the domestic context, we think of it as something that takes photos. In fact, they can be used for almost anything because they are just that platform. What's notable is that they happen to be in the sky and that they can get to places quickly and have a variety of different vantage points um, and areas in airspace should you need it. But the, the Facebook drone is just an example of that. We could be using this for so many different ways that we just haven't figured out yet. And I think the next decade or so will reveal a lot of those potential uses. Well, it reminds me a bit of the conversations that uh, popped up around the um, widespread use of automobiles in the previous century, where there were a lot of unintended social consequences, you know, suddenly to, you know, a boy and a girl could get in a car and drive away and not be under parental supervision. And that and then the access of the inter- interstate system changed how we uh, were mobile in this country or not. So I think in some ways, we might be seeing the same thing play out with drones. I do, though, have a question 
question about uh, Christine opposed the automobile at I did. Every I'm, step I'm, of my the horse way. and buggy suits yeah. me just fine. Thank you very much. Well, I have an, the a, horse a carriage <laughs> and all right. the problems that come with it. That's right. Um, well, I'm wondering though, when we're talking, we've been talking a little bit about both private and public use of drones. You could just as easily, um, we've talked about humanitarian organizations using drones to, to help them in their work. You could just as easily see repressive governments using drones to monitor the work of those very same humanitarians and activists. So I'm wondering when we're talking about these networks, if we should be having similar conversations to the ones that we have about the internet, which is access, um, certainly, but also the, the potential for hacking, the potential for surveillance for, um, purposes other than the ones that at least in the United States, we would argue these platforms should be used for. What, what are your major concerns with drones for things like hacking and things like, um, you know, surveillance by repressive regimes, for example? I think making the analogy to the internet is exactly right. I think hacking and surveillance are the dark sides of a technology that allows information to be transferred quite quickly and give different perspectives and vantage points to a number of different people. Um, in the United States, a number of states have moved to actually specifically ban the law enforcement use of drones out of, for fear of exactly that dark side emerging um, and have been somewhat more permissive when it comes to the private side of drones. When it comes to the international context, certainly you can imagine a repressive government using drones to spy on everybody uh, as they do with the Internet now. Now, whether that's a logic for banning drones outright uh, I think the absurdity of that is highlighted when you think of the parallel of saying, well, we should ban the Internet because it has all these bad, this bad potential. And I Don't think- give Christine any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that bad. So, you, there are certainly reasons to be skeptical of drones, but I don't think that those downsides necessarily should cloud all the potential upsides, though it is, it is very tricky. What is your best prediction for where drones are going to take us in, say, 2020? Honestly, I'm hoping drones will deliver me tacos. Um, no, it, you know, it, it, it might look like we're in the Jetsons or it might look like today with an orderly lane of drones flying above our driverless cars. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I think it will be just as ubiquitous as the Internet is. It will, drones will be everywhere um, revolutionizing the transport of packages, medicine, providing us new vantage points for the news and for entertainment. And there may well be uses of drones, you know, affixed with stingrays or Wi-Fi sniffers that are doing bad things and that we will use the law to prevent against those things as best we can. That's very, I, I like that answer in part because it gives a, a little bit of a positive and also uh, highlights some of the negative things we're concerned about. Um, in terms of regulation specifically in the near term, what do you think would be, just, just name one or two things that you think would be useful and one or two regulations that you think might be harmful? Sure. So we're in a funny space right now because the FAA is set to release its drone regulations for small drones, hopefully by November. It was supposed to be March, but they've pushed it back. So we might see these very soon. One very useful potential regulation would be um, a requirement to have what's called sense and avoid technology in drones. And that's very simple, right? It's a technology that if it's kind of like what's in your car that starts beeping if you're about to hit someone. It's the same thing with a drone. It would prevent you um, or it would stop the drone or ground the drone if um, if you're getting near an airplane, for example. Uh, DJI Phantom, that is uh, a, a producer of drone firmware, has just released a version that prevents drones from flying near airports. It's just baked into it. So I think it's for the FAA to require some regulations around what needs to be in your drone in order to qualify, I think would be incredibly advantageous. 
Um, in terms of regulations that I would be sad to see is there's been a lot of talk about the pre-registration or pre-approval of drone flight paths. So before you could get your drone off the ground, you would have to uh, put together a proposal and send it into the FAA and get approval and then fly it. Were that the case, I think that would stifle innovation incredibly. You can imagine that if there's a breaking news story, you would not be able to fly your drone there because you would have to wait for someone to get back to you and tell you that you could. Um, there would be a huge lag, I think, in innovation if they were to have that type of regulation, though you can certainly understand why the FAA might, right? In, with an eye on safety, they would say, no, actually, give us some sort of understanding of where you're going, what data you're collecting, what you're flying, is it safe or not? Um, so you can see the logic behind it, but I think that it would come down hard on the potential creativity around drone use. One follow-up question to the taco drone, um, the taco copter. Um, there's sort of there's there's a contradiction here, isn't there? We're a society that's um, obsessed with the fact that we're all becoming increasingly obese, and you know the general health and well-being of of Americans, and and there's been some fretting about the downsides to an on-demand society, whether that makes us less patient and and tolerant. Um, wouldn't this kind of exacerbate what I like to call the Wally problem? You know, the movie Wally, where everyone's <laughs> just sitting around in an easy chair with a screen in front of their face, getting things on demand. I mean, do you see the kind of private use of on-demand drone delivery as exact? exacerbating um, that problem or just part of a, of a longer cultural shift where we expect things much more quickly than we, when we used to? Honestly, if tacos could be delivered to me and I live in a sixth floor walk-up, I would certainly have the Wally problem. You get the walk-up exception to that rule. <laughs> <laughs> I can So I can see what you're saying, but I think it's part of a larger cultural shift to see how quickly we can get things, to want things quickly. And, and there are advantages to that. If you're in a conflict zone, you want medicines and food fast. Now, if you're sitting in Manhattan, do you really need food faster than what Seamless can bring it to you? Probably not. But I think that isn't a place for regulation. That's a place for social norms to emerge. So we don't end up having the Wally problem. And I hope that we figure that out. I think there's a huge value to slow food, to slow reading, to reading longer books and not just tweets, which is a challenge I have in my personal life. But uh, I think that's something that people have to reckon with themselves and uh, not have laws or rules around it coming externally. I, I think people should write shorter books, actually. <laughs> that's a, a different topic. Uh, I'm wondering how far away are we from the moment when you can have tacos delivered to you? When Amazon you know, made the announcement that they're looking into delivery via drone, uh, a lot of folks thought they were overstating uh, the current technology of drones. They were just kind of doing a PR stunt. Amazon can't deliver things by drones yet. How far away are we from that and, and what kind of breakthroughs are needed? I think we're a solid five years away. Um, and that's, uh, that's perhaps overstating it. But there is a lot of drone technology that can, in fact, carry things, uh, carry an Amazon package from its fulfillment center in New Jersey to where I am in the city. But that's not the cheapest drone. It's not the most accessible drone. And so there, there would really need to be a heavy amount of investment into kind of the top of the line drones in order to carry out the large scale package delivery that Amazon was proposing. Um, the technology is certainly there. It's just not at the point where it's quite as accessible as a $300 pair of AR. And what happens to my friendly UPS or FedEx driver who, or a post office delivery person who now brings me my Amazon packages? 
What happens to their job? Yeah, that's a big question with automation in general, right? And with robotics is, will we be creating new jobs in a sector of the economy that's not accessible to everybody? What will happen to the lower wage jobs? And I think the answer is, um, and this is actually kind of my answer for most things, that we need better STEM education at all levels in order to train people to be drone operators or tinkerers or working on the industry growth side of this rather than being left behind uh, and just replaced by robots entirely. Well, thank you. Or we could provide people a guaranteed minimum uh, income instead of a guaranteed minimum wage. And that is definitely another conversation. (laughs) There are people writing about the future of work in light of that who have not really libertarian views, let's say. Um, and they, they think that we should move to a world where the robots may take care of things and humans can enjoy their lives. That would be awesome. Well, that then, sounds like the Wally problem. <laughs> yes, yeah. it does to me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. well, it's either that or the Amazon drones will kill us. Well, we've, <laughs> we've, we've been talking to Nabiha Syed, and she is a media lawyer and visiting fellow at Yale Law School's Information Society Project, as well as co founder of Drone U. Nabiha, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I'd like to thank Ariel Bogle, Elizabeth Weingarten, and Fuzz Hogan for producing this series. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. With Marvin Amori, I'm Christine Rosen. Thanks for listening.